Amen. Well, good morning. It is good to see you all. I am thankful again that you are here, that you are with us. Uh, if you have not been with us yet, I want to let you know that we have been walking verse by verse through 1 Peter. We find ourselves in 1 Peter chapter 3, still walking with the exiles. And this morning, we're going to continue to see Peter give more instruction to the believers on how they should continue to live in the harsh times that they had found themselves. Now again, they are the exiles, the Christians have been banished from their homes. They are living under constant persecution by this point. And yet it's here that we find Peter not only writing his letter for the purpose of encouraging the believers, but at the same time, he is now writing to them, as we have seen both last week and the week before, writing to them in, on the theme of submission, which is something that he's been talking about throughout chapter two. Now to better understand, I believe, what Peter is talking about when we get to 1 Peter chapter 3 today, you need not look at what has transpired over the past three days to understand what it is that Peter is talking about. Now, I don't know what your conversations have looked like since Friday's decision by the Supreme Court, but I would say that that was a great victory for our nation. I would also say that as a church, we still have a responsibility to continue to care for moms and dads who are starting families. We still have a responsibility to continue to faithfully serve and love them in any way possible. And so with what happened on Friday, we shouldn't just say, yay, congratulations, praise God, and let's stop. Rather, what we should see as a church is we now have an opportunity to continue to spread the gospel throughout families that are going to so desperately need it. Now, I'm going to go ahead and tell you that we as a church are a church that doesn't just speak words. We put those words into action. And so in the coming weeks, you're going to be hearing from our family ministry team as we prepare for Vacation Bible School because our mission's emphasis is going to be collecting supplies, not only for our local elementary school that we support, but also some of our local pregnancy centers. And we would encourage everyone in our church to be a part of that. And so there's going to be more information on that to come. But one thing I want us to understand is this. We live in a day and a time where people want to blame everything for every problem they have. We blame our circumstances for why we're having hard times. We blame guns for the loss of life. We now blame politicians for their decisions, or dare I say their lack of decisions. And we are currently seeing in our world where over the past 48 hours, justices are being blamed for taking away rights. But the reality is this. If we were to truly examine where our problem originated... If we were to truly ask the question, where did all of these issues come about? The answer would simply be found in the fact that all of the issues that we are now experiencing, all the problems that we are now facing began when our nation began to unravel and destroy the nuclear family. If you don't know what I mean, let me explain it. Dads forgot how to be dads. Moms forgot how to be moms. And the nuclear family began to unravel. 
You see, this is something that I believe that Peter was even experiencing in his own day. You see, in the midst of the, the heartache and the frustration that the exiles were beginning to experience, they were beginning to lose fact that what should matter is what is happening even within their own family. So Peter is going to focus this morning in his writing on the nuclear family, in particular, the marriage of a man and a woman. And I want us to understand that today in our text, we are going to now see the importance of an honorable marriage. You see, this is where it all begins. Our children will reflect what they see, and what they see is our marriage. Those who are younger than us will reflect what they see, and what they see is our marriage. You don't have to be a student of history to realize that if you want to know where welfare started, if you want to know where uh, Planned Parenthood and things like that started, it all started when we began to just disassemble the sanctity and the sacredness that is found in the union and matrimony of one man to one woman. And so this is exactly where we find Peter this morning. You see, here's the reality for us today. Marriage is hard. Okay? If someone has ever told you that marriage is easy, I'm going to go ahead and tell you they are not being completely honest. You see, one thing I like to tell couples that I'm in counseling with is this. Marriage is like watching two high-speed trains, not running side by side, but rather running on the same track towards one another. And then one day, they eventually collide together, and then chaos ensues. Now, many couples, I say this because many couples don't really understand what it is that they're about to get into. In fact, you can try to talk to a lot of couples that are about to get married about this particular thing, but what you find uh, out for yourself is that when you end up in a relationship with someone and you end up being married to said person, you realize that you quickly learn more about them as a married couple than you did when you were actually just dating. You find out little nuanced things that you probably wished you'd have known ahead of time, so maybe you could have made a more informed decision. I think I just had this conversation with my wife not that long ago. Still a work in progress after so many years. You see, with marriage comes growing pains as you learn to live together. And although marriage is beautiful, the reality is marriage can be messy as well. And if that wasn't hard enough, we now live in a time where society itself is now trying to redefine marriage altogether. Now, I don't need to go through everything that we are beginning to see and experience about what society is trying to uh, tell us about marriage, but I do want you to think about a couple things. First of all, think about this. Do you realize today that 40% of all babies are now born outside of marriage? Do you realize that 40% of marriages today in the United States ultimately end in divorce? And that number continues to climb. The reason why that number is actually only 40%, and this was fascinating from the same study, is because of this. 70% of couples today actually cohabitate before even considering marriage. You see, they want to test drive the car before they purchase it. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you these odds are not good. These are horrible odds. Sadly, this is the world that we now live in. And this is what's being shared 
with our children. You see, the reality is people desire to be in a relationship. Everybody wants that, but few want the commitment of marriage. People shun marriage because they fear that they're going to face the reality of divorce one day. So people would rather protect themselves from marriage because they believe, listen to this, because they believe that marriage itself is just too risky. And so as Christians, how do we live in such a way that shows that marriage is worth the risk? How do we live in such a way where we can show people a marriage that is honorable? Well, in our text this morning in 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter, seeing similar concerns from the exiles, for the exiles, begins to write to them a word of instruction to the church on how to glorify God through what Peter will call an honorable marriage. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I would encourage you to turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3, and we're going to begin reading in verse 1. Now, once you have found your place there, if you can and you are able, I would invite you now to stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Now, again, this is Peter writing to the elect exiles, writing about marriage. In 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, he writes, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the Word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the women as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. Now, before we go any further, I want to address a couple of items before we jump into this text. First of all, if you were here today and you are single, please do not tune out this message. Whether you're middle school, high school, college, into your career, and you're single, do not miss out on the importance of the text. In fact, I would encourage you this morning to praise God for your singleness because your singleness gives you the freedom to faithfully and obediently follow Jesus Christ without the worry or the concern of having another person to consider in your life. Enjoy that freedom. But for you today, hear this word. And begin praying how you can be an honorable man or how you can be an honorable woman so that you are better prepared to take on marriage. See the words today from Peter as an opportunity for how you should be praying for your future spouse. Or better yet, how you should begin praying for yourself. If you're a widow today or a widower, please do not tune out this message Because you are a blessing from the Lord. You have experienced marriage. You have seen 
and you have lived the joy of a loving marriage. You were filled with wonderful stories and wonderful memories. And yet, by God's grace, your spouse has now been called on to glory. I pray that you see today as a refreshing reminder of your marriage, but also as an opportunity to pray for all the couples that are now sitting around you, that God would be glorified in their marriages in the same way that God was glorified in your marriage. Also, widows and widowers, I would ask that you pray for how God would use you and how God would use your past joys to help strengthen the marriages that are around you in this place. For our couples today, which all of us really included in this one, whether you're single, widowed, in a marriage, in a relationship, couples, whomever you are, all of us, upon initial reading, I recognize that this passage may come across as degrading. I recognize that this passage may come across as chauvinistic to many. In fact, let's just go ahead and be honest. There are six verses that deal specifically with women. And there's only one verse that deals with the man. Now, I want to go ahead and tell you, before you look at your spouse, before you get your popcorn ready, before you begin poking one another, before you fold your arms in defense or in preparation for the fix my spouse moment that is to come, let's go ahead and establish that this text calls for both men and women to do their part in creating an honorable marriage. It's not just on one. It's on both. Now, unlike popular cultural theology, this is not a passage that we can simply discard and walk away from claiming that Peter's command was only temporary, and it's not meant for us today. Nor was this passage meant to be an adaptation for the church that eventually we would outgrow in the years to come. No, Peter's words for the exiles is a word that we clearly need to hear in our churches today. So let's look together and ask the question, what Parts make up an honorable marriage. First, we see in verses 1 through 6, the first part of an honorable marriage begins with a gentle wife. Notice that in verses 1 through 6, Peter begins with the wife, and he speaks of the wife in terms of double submission. Now, in doing this, Peter is not downplaying the role of the woman, but rather helping the woman to understand her purpose in glorifying God through her marriage. Now, we have to ask ourselves, why would the wife's role be so important within the marriage? Well, verse 1 and 2, Peter tells us, likewise, wives... Be subject to your own household so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Now, although Peter's message here applies to all wives, I want us to pay attention that his specific audience was specifically those wives who were married to unbelieving men. You see, Peter is speaking in such a way to tell women that your marriage should honor God and at the same time you should conduct yourself in a way that even your pagan, non-believing husband would approve of. Now this would be very important in Peter's day because the women during the Greco-Roman days would ultimately have to take on the faith of their husband, which is similar to what we see when couples come together today. The only difference is during the Greco-Roman days, it was done more with force. And so Peter knew that for the Christian woman, this would be impossible because they could not deny 
their faith in Jesus Christ. And thus it would be perceived that they were now living in direct defiance and rebellion against their husband. And so Peter calls these women to conduct themselves in a way that would be respectful. You see, this was a call to the women to own your faith, to live out your faith, but to do so in such a way that it would not be disruptive or to cause your husband to become defensive. Now, yes, share your faith, but do so in a way of love and a respect and not in a way of throwing condemnation or nagging at your spouse. And so notice this. Notice that many people in society see this passage as the problem with Christianity. Because people claim that this particular passage now downplays the role and the importance of women. But that is not the case for Peter. The fact is, Peter aimed to guide women. He, helped, he wanted to help them in living faithfully with a pagan, non-believing husband. But also, we need to recognize that the fact that Peter even addressed women during his day was actually unheard of because most literary forms during Peter's day excluded women and put them on the same level of writing as they would for slaves or for children who were all deemed unworthy and unnecessary to write to, write about, or even acknowledge. So in writing specifically to women, Peter has now elevated the status of women both within their home and also within their community. And yet sadly, there are many men who read this and they've used these words and abused these words into thinking that they can now command their wives to do what they want, when they want it, and then physically overpower the women that the Lord has given them. Well, if husbands truly love their wives as Christ loved the church, which is what we read in Ephesians chapter 5, then I would argue this passage would not nor ever be controversial at all. More on that in a moment. But coming back to our text, notice that Peter has now given wives a command with a purpose. To win your husband to faith in Jesus Christ. For the wives today who are married to Christian men, you have been given a command with a purpose to encourage your husband to grow in his faith in Jesus Christ. Now again, notice the command here is to subject. Now as we stated before with the servants mentioned in 1 Peter chapter 2, this is not a call to blind obedience. Nor is it a call for every woman to have to follow every man in their life. Rather, this is a call for wives to subject themselves to their husbands alone with the same ability and authority to determine how they want to follow his direction. Let me unpack what I'm talking about here. If a husband demands his wife to do evil... She has the power and the authority by the grace of God, according to the word of God, to say no. If a husband says, we are leaving this church and we are never going back to it because I'm just simply unhappy with being there, then she has every right by the grace of God, according to the word of God, to look at her husband and say, give me a biblical reason. 
You see, the man does not lord authority over the woman, but rather he leads her, he cares for her, he presents her to Christ without blemish. Again, Paul's words to the church of Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 5. But again, in our text, remember that Peter's goal in our text is for the husband to come to faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, we look again at verse 1 and we see a phrase there that says, so that they may be one without a word. Now again, Peter is not telling women to remain silent. Nor is he saying that women speaking to men is pointless, which is what some say about this passage in our culture. Rather, what Peter is saying to women is he's saying to them, listen, women of unbelieving men, let your actions speak. And when you do speak, speak with truth and do so gracefully. Wives, can I tell you something that I know you already know, but I just want to affirm you for a moment? You know this. I'm not about to tell you something new. Sometimes the best thing that you can do for your husband, even when he is wrong, even when he is messed up, even when he has sinned, is to simply encourage him with the word and allow others to speak into his life. Do you want to know why that is? Because sometimes we don't want to hear the truth. And so we need patience. We need grace. So for the sake of keeping unity in your home, sometimes allowing others to speak may be your best option. Again, this is not saying to remain silent when you disagree. But it does mean that others may be needed to speak into the life of your husband where you feel like you can't. But wives, I want you to understand Speak truth to your husband. Speak truth with grace. Continue to pray for your husband. Allow your conduct to speak for itself. Because the reality is this. Our words won't always change people. Our words won't always fix people or won't always help people. Don't believe me? Check out your social media for the past 48 hours. Has anyone been changed? And yet, how many of us have said, boy, if people would listen to my words, everything would be different. I love what C.E.B. Cranfield says about this point. He says, of course, wives must be ready to speak about Jesus Christ. But, listen to this, to persist in talking to someone who does not want to listen only hardens. Wives. Be gentle, be quiet, not in silence, but quiet in grace, because those words spoken in grace are better received than harsh words spoken in frustration. Speak truth, speak it lovingly, speak it gracefully. Peter continues in the text in verse 3 and 4, and he says, Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Now notice this. Peter calls for wives to pursue the highest form of beauty, which is modesty. 
You see, in Peter's day, women would spend hours braiding their hair. They would spend hours adorning themselves with all kind of jewels and, and gold jewelry. And they did this in order to flaunt their wealth in front of others. They did this because they wanted to signify their own promiscuity. They did this in order to defy or to disregard the authority of their own husband. So notice what Peter is speaking to. The problem was not the hair. The problem was not the gold but rather the problem was the why the women were dressing in this way, which was a heart and a mind issue. And so you see for Peter, he says virtue or behavior showing high moral standards is the one garment women should wear with pride. This garment should be worn as women live in friendliness and calm and peace and refuse to quarrel or even show a bad temper. You see, the reality is this. When we give more attention to our hair and to our beauty than to the mind and to the heart, then something is clearly wrong. Sure, we may notice physical beauty about a person first, but the longer we know someone, the less appearance matters. And what's really going to matter is the heart and the mind. And notice in the text, we see that Peter says, in God's eyes, a gentle and quiet spirit is true beauty. Now, women, I'm not saying this morning to not braid your hair. Okay? Not saying that. I am the guy with long hair now. I have allowed my daughters to braid my hair. And I think it's cool. I'm not saying that. If you don't like it, get over it. That's your opinion. I got mine. I'm not saying to not wear jewelry. I'm not saying that at all. But women, can I say something to you that I hope by God's grace is freeing for you to hear today? Stop measuring yourself to the standard of the world. Stop. Stop watching television and asking yourself, how or why do I not look like that woman? In fact, ladies, if you're going to measure yourself to anything, measure yourself according to the standard of God. Please, ladies, hear my heart in that. I want you to live in that freedom. You see, we live in a time today where people want to flaunt their wealth by accentuating their physical features. They want to flaunt their wealth by showing off their massive homes. They want to show you their nice fancy cars. They want to show you their massive and expensive vacations that they've been on. They even, dare I say, Christians want to show off their mission trips that they've been on, even though those mission trips were more vacations than they were missions. And what Peter says to us this morning is, ladies, don't live for that. Don't live for that. That's not the goal. Rather, focus on that which is imperishable. Notice that Peter is saying to women, listen, yes, take care of your bodies, take care of your health, but know this, one day they will fade. Yes, build a home, but one day your home may be destroyed. Yes, have a car, but know that one day that car can disappear in a moment. You see, here's the truth, ladies. 
What you spend hours on will reveal what matters most. So if you're going to work on anything, work on your character. Work on the heart. Work on the mind. For, again, the text says, a gentle and quiet spirit in God's sight is very precious. You see, Peter calls wives here to grow in love. He calls wives to grow in mercy, to grow in grace, so that in your actions and words, God would be glorified. But then notice what happens in the text. We get to verse 5 and 6, and Peter continues. He says, For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good. And do not fear anything that is frightening. Now, I know what it is that you are thinking, ladies. You are thinking in this moment, in no way, shape, or form am I ever going to look at my husband or my future husband and say to him, I am not calling you Lord. Ladies, I want to tell you that's a good call. (laughs) Don't call him Lord. Don't call him Master Don't call him boss. He's not any of those things. That is a clear call. But notice what Peter does give a clear call on. He gives us a clear call of spiritual beauty when he calls the women to submit or subject themselves to their own husbands. Now, Peter knew that women were going to balk at this notion because women during Peter's day didn't really trust their husbands or because they wanted their own freedom to do whatever they wanted to do as they wanted to do it as they pleased. So Peter gives wives the example of Sarah and Abraham. See, I don't know how much you know of Sarah and Abraham. We often know of them together, but what I would encourage you to do is go back to Genesis and read and specifically focus on Sarah. Because here's some things I've learned about Sarah from, from reading in Genesis. Sarah was a tough woman. Sarah was a woman who spoke her mind. She was a strong woman with words to say. And yet by the time we get to Genesis 18, Sarah refers to Abraham as Lord. But she does so to acknowledge him as her husband and to recognize his spiritual leadership within their home. Now again, ladies, pay attention to this. Because even though Sarah used these words, it did not prevent her from speaking her mind. Continue to read in Genesis 18. But yet in this example, we see Sarah submitting to her husband in order to make her load and her burden lighter. And so Peter calls for all women to follow her example and to rest in the grace and the goodness that we have in God. Because if we are in God, in Christ, we do not fear anything that is frightening. Wives, here's your takeaway. Honor your husbands. Submit to your husbands and to their leadership. Not submission in terms of blind obedience that leads to abuse, but rather in a way that honors your husband, but ultimately glorifies God. This role 
was not meant to bind a woman, but rather it was to set her free to grow in her walk with Jesus Christ and to gracefully love her husband to faith in Christ and even to encourage him in his own walk. So wives, please set the example for the next generation of women to follow. Be gentle. Be quiet in spirit. Do not be quarrelsome for this, again, in the text, is very precious in the sight of God. So wives, are you allowing your husbands to lead? Wives, how are you encouraging your husbands to lead? Single women in the room who desire to be married, how are you praying for your future spouse to lead you according to the word? And then how will you let them lead? Now that last question of how will you let them lead is important. Because I've seen too many wives do this. They run around and they make all the decisions for whatever reason, but then all of a sudden when they make a decision that gets hard and people may turn against them or all of a sudden that decision begins to fall apart, they look at their husband and say, well, you are the spiritual leader. Lead. Don't do that, wives. Lead with grace. Lead with gentleness. And encourage your husbands to be the leader that God has called them to be. Now again, this is one part of an honorable marriage. It begins with a gentle wife. But notice there is a second part that comes with all of this. In fact, we see it in verse 7. And that second part is this. Not only are we to have a gentle wife, but now we are to have an understanding husband. So men, notice that you are not off the hook by any stretch of the imagination. Yes, you only get one verse. Yes, many of you husbands may want to look at your wife and poke her and see and say, the Lord had to tell you something six times. He only had to say it to me once. Ha ha, look at me. But I want to tell you, men, there's a lot of power in this one verse. Not to mention, as our wives already know, we men have simple brains. And so we need things told to us in simple terms. Peter knew it, and so do our wives. And so Peter calls husbands to be understanding. He calls husbands to be respectful. He calls husbands to be tender. And now tender does not mean wimpiness by any stretch of the imagination, but rather tender means gentleness. No wimps allowed, fellas. But notice what Peter says in the text. He says, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Men, notice this. Notice that you're called to lead beside your wife. You are not called to lead above your wife, domineering her in any stretch of the imagination. Nor Husbands, are you called to lead behind your wife when you abdicate your responsibility to lead in your home? But before we jump into this further, I want you to notice the word likewise that's mentioned for the husbands. It's the same thing that Peter says of the wives when he says likewise to the wives. Did you notice that? It's in both sections, in verse 1 and here again in verse 7. Notice that for Peter, this is a callback to the last section that we saw in 1 Peter chapter 2 on how we should subject ourselves to the leaders and the authorities that are around us. So notice that Peter, in the same way we've been called to subject ourselves to the authority, is now calling both man and woman to submit to one another. 
Now, I would want you to pay attention to several phrases, particularly in verse 7. The first phrase I would want you to highlight or underline is the phrase, live with. Notice Peter's expectation here. Peter expects a husband and wife to live in the same household. As if that wasn't obvious enough. But at the same time, Peter expects the husband and the wife to sleep in the same bed. Now here what we have from Peter is a clear call for physical intimacy. Now, I'm not going to go into details because I recognize there are little ears in the room, but here's a truth I want us to understand today as married couples. The fabric of a marriage can and will be torn apart when a husband and wife deprive one another physically. When we deprive one another of physical touch and of intimacy, there will create a separation that will lead to a loss of affection. So husbands, protect your marriage. Wives, protect your marriage. Husbands, that is not a call to physically demand anything from your wife. But rather, husbands, it's for you to see that in your marriage, you are lovers. You are not roommates. Now, I would encourage you to talk to your spouse, talk to one another about this and how it is that you feel. And if you ever begin to feel like you are roommates or sense that you are becoming roommates, then wives and husbands, I would encourage you to begin talking together and establishing some sort of reconnection. But then notice, notice the very next phrase that Peter gives us. Peter gives us the phrase, in an understanding way. Or some of your translations may say, according to knowledge. Now here's the reality. This is actually where most men fail in our marriages. You see, Peter expects the husband to know their wife. In other words, husbands, we should know our wife's preferences. We should know our wife's moods. We should know our wife's needs so that we can know how to better love her and better care for her and better support her. So men, if you're in the room, the excuse of I don't understand women shows careless leadership. So stop saying it. I'm going to tell you, God made this really easy for us today. Husbands. We only need to know one woman. So if you think about it, the field of inquiry just got really narrow. You don't need to know everything else about everyone else. You just need to know your wife. But Peter's not done. The very next phrase He says to show honor to the women as the weaker vessel. Now, again, this is where people get upset. But I want you to see what Peter's saying. Peter is generally acknowledging here that women in most cases are physically weaker than men. But now in Peter's day, Peter didn't mean that to be offensive. Because Peter lived in a day and a time where Jews and Greeks also viewed women as weaker. But they didn't just view them weaker physically. They viewed them weaker mentally. They viewed them weaker spiritually. But that is not at all what Christians believe. And that's not at all what Peter is responding to. Rather, Peter is saying this. He's saying, listen, sure, women may be physically weaker than men, but husbands, men 
honor your wife, for she is an heir with you of the grace of life. Notice what Peter is acknowledging here. He's saying both the man and the woman are joint heirs of the grace that is found in knowing Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. So if you're going to know anything, know how to honor one another. So husbands, let me say to you today, do not bully your wife. Do not physically push your wife around. Do not threaten your wife. Do not strike your wife. And I'm going to take it one step further. Husbands, do not demean your wife in the home or in front of others. Husbands, your job is to protect your wife at all costs. And you are to defend your wife with your life. Remember, the wife may have been called the weaker vessel here in this moment. But again, Peter is generally speaking physically of a man versus a woman. But notice this about husbands. Marriage is a union of two weak and sinful people who are weak and sinful in different ways. So husbands... As the physically stronger one, do not lord over your wife in a way that is abusive. But rather recognize that you are both sinful people. So husbands, do not abuse your wives. At the same time, husbands, let's take this a step further in what Peter's talking about. Do not be absent from your home. Do not come home from your job. I don't care what your job is. I don't care how hard your day was. None of that matters. Do not come home and check out from your wife and your family. You have a responsibility to give them your best. You have a responsibility to lead them because you are joint heirs in grace. And therefore you carry the burden and the responsibility of seeing your wife grow in her faith in Jesus Christ, according to his word. So men, I want to ask you, how are you leading your wives in the word? Single men in the room, how are you praying now that God would make you an understanding man so that you can faithfully lead your wife according to the word? Husbands, here's your takeaway. Do not be abusive. And at the same time, do not be absent from your home. Your family needs you. Your wife needs you. Love her, know her, care for her. And wives, don't be afraid to ask the very simple question of your wife, how am I doing at caring for you? And then in grace, listen to her response and grow from it. Husbands, grow in your understanding of the word and be willing to lead her in her understanding and knowing of the word as well so that you can both enjoy knowing Jesus Christ more fully. Now, I recognize in the room, we, many of us are in marriages that are very imperfect. 
we make a lot of mistakes. And I want to tell you today, there is grace in those areas. Some of us may be living in marriages right now where, where our spouse, is, it just looks like there is no way for this person to, to ever join with me in this cause. And if that's you today, I want you to begin with prayer. Begin with prayer and begin with leading by example according to the word of God. And then let's see by the grace of God what the Lord will do with your relationship. You see, Peter seeks to see a stronger nuclear family. He understood the importance needed in a strong nuclear family. And so he seeks to see husbands and wives live in a relationship that ultimately glorifies God. You see, couples have the blessing and the opportunity to model Jesus Christ in their marriage. The same Jesus who submitted to God the Father in his plan for redemption and yet is equal to God in eternity. So husbands... Be stronger within your marriage. Submit to your wives. Lead your wives well. Don't oppress your wife or demand them to blindly obey wicked commands. Encourage your wife to grow in the word. Wives, love your husbands. Be gentle. Be gracious. Speak with grace according to the word. Do not... Be quarrelsome, do not be divisive, but rather encourage your husband with the word and honor him with your words. And to both the husband and the wife, remember this today. The marriage is a covenant made before God. Honor one another. Honor the covenant. Honor God through your marriage. No one expects you to get it right all the time. We all know it. None of us expect it. You are still two sinners seeking to build something that is lasting. So don't be afraid to fail. And when you do fail, because you're going to, lift one another back up in prayer. Lift one another back up in grace. Lift one another back up according to the word. You see, I'm a firm believer today that our nation is so divided because we have torn apart the family. And the only way we're going to get this nation back on track, it's not going to be by passing more laws. You know why? Because people break laws. You don't believe me? How many of you honor speed limits? You don't. How many of you honor stop signs? You don't. Simple things. Some of y'all just felt convicted by that. That white around the edges does not mean optional. Just saying. People are going to break laws. And more laws are not going to help. The only thing that's going to help is the grace of God. The only thing that's going to help is when the people of God come back to the word of God and they begin proclaiming that very word of God to people who desperately need it. We will begin to heal and be restored when nuclear families begin to come back together. When husbands and wives begin working together again by the grace of God. 
when they begin encouraging one another according to the word of God, when they acknowledge to their own church and their own children, listen, we are not perfect, but but by God's grace, we seek to glorify him. Our homes will begin to heal when we begin to understand the roles that we have been called to play. Wives, be gentle. Husbands, be understanding. Live in a way together that points others to Jesus Christ because that is what Peter calls an honorable marriage. Let's pray together.